Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused. Songsmith Podcast and the Creativity Gurus is now under one brand, Out of Silence. Peace. Greetings, Hepcats. On this edition of Creativity Gurus, I will be speaking with Matt Merrill and Groovebox, a.k.a. Dylan Carey. Now, Dylan uh, was mentioned in a previous episode with my interview with Josh Johnson. He uh, is the musician that is on, one of the musicians on Josh Johnson's 33-track mixtape, Elusive. So you can check that out as well. Now, these guys are both comedians. They have acting experience, writing experience, performing. They just have so much to talk about. And one of the things I'm really excited for is their production of Ghost Hotel, a comedy series, something like what we do in the shadows. So it's along those lines. I'm really excited. You can actually find out how you can donate to get this thing to happen. Uh, They are both working on it. They have a website, ghosthotel.show. So check that out. You can follow me on Instagram. You can find me on YouTube. And I will be posting clips and highlights from all my podcasts on YouTube. So make sure you go over there to subscribe and follow me on TikTok. Um, I do a lot of uh, creative coaching there. And if you like what you hear, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts and give me that five-star review, write something nice. That gets me up and up and up, and I can keep doing these things. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Matt Merrill and Groovebox, a.k.a. Dylan Carey. My guests today are Groovebox, a.k.a. Dylan Carey, and Matt Merrill. Groovebox is a producer, vocalist, and entertainer from Chicago, Illinois. His live act combines music and comedy in a beatbox-driven, completely improvised experience. Dylan is trained at Chicago's Second City, I.O. Theater, Annoyance Theater, and Comedy Sports, and has been performing for over 15 years. He's worked with True TV, Fox, Saney's Comedy Club, McDonald's, Bud Light, Ben & Jerry's, Chili's, State Farm, and has even performed at Carnegie Hall. Matt, an L.A.-based writer, actor, and comedian, he's been performing and writing comedy for over 12 years in cities across the country. Matt has toured and taught comedy at the Second City Chicago and has been featured in productions and ensembles at I.O. Chicago, The Playground, Annoyance, Comedy Sports, Finest City, Improv San Diego, and more. And Matt's acting credits include NBC's Chicago Fire, as well as various short films, commercials, voiceovers, and web videos. And it says on the uh, Ghost Hotel website that you are not a lobster disguised as a man, Matt. That is right. Yeah, that's that's. Super Do you accurate. normally yeah. get confused as a lobster disguised as a man? I just like to make sure people understand that that's like super. I'm just really I'm not. So it's just something I put out there. 
pretty consistent. All right, that's good to know. That's good to know because I do not allow lobsters on my show. I figured that. Um, Okay. Yeah. Very uh, anti-lobster. Oh, good. Good. So (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you guys for like taking the time out of your schedule. You guys apparently do a lot. So thank you for doing that. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. So I want to um, just right now say ghosthotel.show. That's the website. And I want to make sure we get that right out of the way because people are, you know, their attention spans are very short. We want to make sure they know to go to ghosthotel.show. And you guys made it really easy to donate on that website. So if anybody wants to, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to make sure you know where to go to do that. So yeah. do my not first go to question lobster.com. is lobster.com. Yeah. We'll take care lobster.com. 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 Don't go that there. Would be pointless. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's website. Yeah. <laughs> So my first question is, how did you guys meet? Um, is this the whole comedy thing? You guys are always seeing each other? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt and I met uh, in Chicago. Uh, I made the move up to Chicago uh, at the same time as Matt. What was this in like 2011? 11. Yeah, October 2011. Yeah, that's 10 years. And um, yeah, we, we started taking classes together at uh, the I.O. Theater here in Chicago. Yeah, so Chicago seems to be, is it like, you know how like if you grow up in Canada, you become a hockey player? If you're in Chicago, is it like you become a comedian? Is that the thing? Yeah. it seems it's... I think it's kind of a given, yeah. And I mean, like, it's kind of a pull for anyone in the Midwest that has any interest in comedy whatsoever. So I came out from Cincinnati and there were tons of people from Ohio and Indiana and just the whole general area. Yeah, I've never been to Chicago. Um, but I, I've, when I was younger, I remember watching SCTV, which now I don't know if back then it was only Canada, but I know that you guys with second city here, um, they have a school. This is like what comedy college. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like a huge campus. What do they have? Like seven or eight stages there and classrooms all over the place. They do clowning and writing and anything you can imagine. Wow. Yeah, it's such and Chicago's such a mecca too, uh, for for all this, specifically improvisational comedy. And yeah, like like you were saying, you either uh become a, a comedian or you become a uh a deep dish pizza if you move to Chicago. Those are two choices. <laughs> I yeah, I've only had like um the deep dish pizza that they say is Chicago style. Like I'm in Philly, so but I know anywhere I go that says it's a Philly cheesesteak, it's not a Philly cheesesteak. So I doubt what I'm eating yeah, is a you're Chicago getting deep. deep dish with cheese whiz on on it. That's that's <laughs> gross. It's not the same. <laughs> All right. So so you guys are doing your comedy and so I have here um Dylan that you uh run three murder mystery shows. And so I'm trying to envision this because I watched your comedy special, which if anybody wants to see it it's on YouTube. It's the happiest man in the room. Um, and so I'm trying to envision that guy running murder mysteries. Is that same guy going doing that? <laughs> guy. that same it's insane guy. person. Uh, yeah, no, that's a different guy. Uh, I, I do. I, I wear a lot of hats. And uh, I think it's accurate to say that my persona changes a little bit under each hat. Um, you know, I'd like to believe I'm the same happy-go-lucky guy. But uh, yeah, the the role for these murder mystery shows. I'm a franchise owner for, uh, three, uh, the dinner detective, 
uh, locations is the name of the franchise. So The Dinner Detective is this nationwide murder mystery show. We've got like 75 locations nationwide, and I own uh, three of them in the Midwest, in Cincinnati, Fort Wayne, and uh, South Bend, Indiana. And yeah, that, that, guy, that, that guy under that hat is... Um, in charge of marketing, in charge of casting. I, I manage about 95 actors. So he's a wow. little bit less, less goofy, uh, than, uh, than the, the guy you saw in that comedy special. But, you know, I, I, I approached that business from an actor first standpoint. So I like to, you know, have a lot of fun with my cast and make sure that the atmosphere is professional, but also, you know, lighthearted. It's like, we're doing, we're doing comedy here, guys. We're doing dinner theater. You know, don't, don't take anything too seriously. Now, would uh, would you be one of the actors, or are you just running the show? Like you're like behind the scenes. Yeah. So um, my my goal with all these locations when I start them uh, and hire local talent is to eventually step back into the shadows. Um, but yeah, when I first move into these locations, it's um, leading by example, acting in the show, and then just kind of showing how the show can be good, and then letting people come in, step into those roles, uh, and uh, let it develop its own. Uh, local flavor. Nice. So both of you, um, going back, let's go back, like, when you first started, was your goal to be a comedian? uh, Or, Dylan, for you, were you trying to be a musician and you realized people were laughing at you? (laughs) At you, for sure. Every time I... Every time I sing, people seem to laugh at me. Um, I mean, music was always a passion for me, but through uh, through choir. So I did like concert choir in high school and college, and we uh, my college uh, concert choir toured. We, that's where I did that Carnegie Hall gig. We we sang on the Great Wall of China. We did some like really cool gigs in in, in college, but. Um, I was a double major in college. One of them was uh, theater. One of them was marine biology. So oh. I was a marine biologist for a while post-college. And then I decided to move to Chicago. Uh, graduating with that double major, people are like, oh, you're a perfect fit for SeaWorld. Uh, <laughs> this, was, <laughs> this was obviously pre-Blackfish. So you know, right. SeaWorld oh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't quite canceled yet. But uh, yeah, that, uh, that, that was my trajectory. And then I moved to Chicago specifically for comedy. And Matt, yeah, I uh, yeah, I the comedian thing was always big for me. I grew up watching SNL, Mad TV, and and stuff like that. I did a lot of research and like, where do these people come from? Um, And I saw it was always Second City or IO uh, or Groundlings. Um, So yeah, I knew from an early age, probably fifteen, that I wanted to get out to Chicago or one of the big uh, cities to to do more comedy stuff. So. If you ask them to sing a song, they would sing you a song. It's somewhere along the line we're told that we're only worthy of one thing in this world, that find your one thing. And uh, you can be many things. Now, if you're moving toward a business for your thing, it is better to find that one thing because if you're spread too thin, um, like I have, you, you don't know your audience. You need to know your audience. Like if you're making any kind of business, there's a business plan and basically they want to know in this business plan who is your audience and how are you going to sell to this audience. But it doesn't mean that you can't do multiple things. You you can do multiple things. You choose to do what you enjoy doing. Find what you like doing and do it. Now starting at zero is scary and I know that one thing 
people might do is procrastinate because as long as you don't start, you can't fail. As long as you don't start, you can't see how terrible you might be. As long as you don't start, it's always there as a possibility. But the minute you start, now you are required to finish. You're required to have one thing instead of zero. And you're required to start a second thing and a third thing. And, you know, in your head, you might feel like the first 500 things are awful. And that's where it comes into the grit. Can you continue to do something that is going to be difficult for years until you can master it? You really have to think of it that way. Um, I think this idea that creative types want to make a living, like if only I could make money doing what I love. But once you start making money doing what you love, it becomes a job. And once it's a job, it could take out the what I love part of your creativity. That is something that a lot of people don't think through. Because if you love doing it, and you're doing it every day, but then it becomes I have to do it every day because I have to make the money to pay the bills. Well, now it's work. And if you don't have that, and you're just like, I don't feel like drawing today, or I don't feel like writing a song or recording my music today, you can't. You, you're going to, you basically will have to fire yourself because you suck at your job, right? If you are a creative person, and you're starting at zero, you're going to have to work every day. Now, imagine that's your job. You got a job writing books. And you wake up, and you're like, I'm not going to work today. And then the next day you get up, and you're like, I don't feel like going to work today either. And you miss a whole week. Do you think in the real world you're going to have your job? You're going to lose your job. So if you want to make money out of it, you have to say, all right, I'm going to get up today. I don't feel like going to work, but I'm going anyway because I don't want to lose my job. And that's what it would become. Now, everybody's like, oh, that's not me. I love getting up and writing. Well, and you probably don't write that much because everybody who's famous uh, and just does this for a living, they will all tell you there are days they get up and lots of days that they don't love writing, although they love writing. It's it's a you know catch-22 thing. I don't know if that's the right phrase. Ugh. Anyway, you can love writing and have days that you hate writing. You can love... I actually posted this recently, um, <clears throat> a quote from Jimi Hendrix saying, you will hate the guitar, but if you put it you know, put the work in, you will be rewarded. I think that is the key. You will hate what you love, but you still got to get up and do it. So for all you starting at zero, wake up and start with one. The next day or the next, after you finish the first one, begin with number two. After you finish that, go to number three. So start with zero. And don't stop. Not even when you get to 100. You just don't stop. And I think for next week, I'm going to do an episode on finishing what you started.
because the worst thing is you're starting with zero. Everybody starts with zero. The difference between two people who start at zero uh, and one who succeeds and one who doesn't is that the one who succeeds finish what they started and then start over again. You can think of it that way. Starting with zero is I'm starting at zero. I created this project and now you're back to zero and you have to start everything all over again. And if you think of it that way, that can be very upsetting, right? You know, oh my God, I'm back to zero again. But it is really that. You finish something and now you have to start again. And then you finish that thing and you have to start again. And it can become overwhelming where you're sitting there like, well, I now created 50 things and I can't think of the 51st thing. What if I run out of ideas? So don't think of that. Just think, get started and don't stop. And we'll talk about finishing what you start next week. All right. Peace. So, and um, he spoke very highly of you. And uh, I really like that. Your voice is really nice. It's funny. Like, again, your hats, you're wearing these different hats. And there's a, when I heard that, I heard that his songs prior to knowing about you. And then when I, like I said, I go and watch this comedy. I'm like, this is the guy who was singing that? Because <laughs> it's more like you're like this R&B guy uh, on the tape and then on the mixtape. And, and then we have this uh, very tall. Teddy has to be an absolute minimum of 24 years because Talisetti is 12 light years away. Right. And um, Ryland's ship, the Hail Mary, is... Um, it gets up close to relativistic speeds when it's tra- I mean, it gets up close to the speed of light when it's traveling, but it's still, from Earth's point of view, it takes it about 13 years to get there. And the Beatles come back in, like, even less time, but, like, somewhere between 12 and 13 years. Are you a Beatles fan? Yes, I am. I'm a huge All Beatles right. fan. Yes. All right. You Are bet. you excited for that movie that's coming out? It's, Hell um, yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the uh, uh, Peter Jackson... Be- Yes, Peter Jackson. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I saw an interview with him, or actually it was an interview with Paul McCartney talking about a conversation he had with Peter Jackson. And Jackson watched something like thousands of hours of video, uh, largely from the Let It Be sessions. Right. um, And he was talking to... Paul McCartney on the phone and he said like, yeah, I've been watching all this stuff and, you know, seeing how you guys interacted and McCartney said like, yeah, I know we were fighting a lot back then. And he's like, no, you guys like 99% of the time we're just joking around, having fun and clearly really close friends. And so I think we're going to see a much more positive uh, depiction of the Beatles and their interactions than we saw in the Let It Be documentary. Yeah, the- I mean, because, you know, that that got canned quick. It's It was on... VHS and never again. And I, I'm always like at a thrift store looking for the VHS copy. I know I could. Well, I mean, buy you can, it, but... it's on YouTube. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, I know. I watched it, but I just yeah. like to have it as like a little. You, know, you can see I throw stuff everywhere. Yeah, so, yeah, like, that's cool. Uh, side so, note, sorry. Yeah, no sorry worries. for the tangent. Um, did you happen to see um, uh, "They Shall Not Grow Old"? The uh, World War One documentary yes. that he made. Yes, that Jackson did. It was amazing. I went to the theater to see it. Yeah. Frame interpolation and slowing it down to the real to the correct frame rate and then even colorizing it. It just looks like these pictures were taken today. And He's they amazing. also added in um, voice actors who spoke with the correct accents for which part of Britain each person was from. And, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, he does. I mean, one of my favorite things he did was uh, if you have the DVD of Kong, uh, the okay. King Kong, that he did the spider sequence that was like a lost 
um, deleted scene from the original King Kong and he recreated it and it's on like the extras on the DVD and Peter Jackson, just amazing what he did. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's, uh, go back to project Hail Mary and this actually, (laughs) yeah, that, uh, yeah. So are you going to like say the author of the Martian and that other book and, (laughs) and another book? Yeah. Yeah. Andy Weir who wrote the Martian and Hail Mary and some other book. Which I, I guess is Artemis. your favorite. That's interesting. I love you, Artemis. You are in the minority, but thank you. I'm glad you liked it. No, I mean, I actually read it a few times because oh, I cool. want to live there. I really. That's what I was shooting for. I wanted to make a setting that was cool, but I guess I made a protagonist that was obnoxious. So I didn't have a problem. Time. Now, um, this is my next question. I'll bring, I'll bring this up first. When you're writing, do you ever have an actor in mind? I know you didn't know Matt Damon would be playing, <laughs> you know, but now that he, you've done that, do you think that way when you're writing the character? No, I try not to think about the film at all. Um, when I'm writing a book, I, I always tell, you know, authors who want advice from me, I always tell them like, if you want to write a movie, write a movie, write a screenplay, go ahead. Right. But don't write a book with the idea that it'll someday be a movie. That's a backwards way of doing things. If you're writing a book, write a book. If you constrain yourself to things that'll work well in a movie, then you're putting artificial constraints on yourself um, that uh, that will reduce the quality of your book. I don't know how far you are into Hail Mary, but there's um, there's a, a, a situation where Ryland needs to kind of decode some musical notes. Um, just about there. Cause he's literally, I just finished chapter, I'm either 10 or 11, but he, okay. um, he is communicating and, um, yeah, yeah. he's taking his nap. He's taking his two, oh, a nap okay. until there you two go. o'clock. There, there we you go. go. Yeah. Well, that whole, uh, as that progresses, you, you will see if, if you imagine in your mind, it's, it's, it will be very difficult to show that stuff in a film. So they're going to have to do something yeah. else. Um, and it's stuff that's really easy to do in a book. Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, I didn't, I, I never put effort into making it easy for a film adaptation. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, obviously I'm a musician. I have all this stuff. And so when you brought up that it's like, um, chords, I could hear that in my head. Like it was really a really cool way to create a voice for that character. I will say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, somebody said uh, something like, uh, "Oh, yeah, I was interviewed by somebody whose wife is a professional musician, and she also enjoyed the book, and um, she had provided uh, like a, a sound sample for him that she played of. According to the book, this is." You know, oh. that language is word for this thing is like, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, there we go. That's great. Now, do you have any say in who is the voice on like the um, audible books or the um, audio books? Uh, I had some say, but I didn't flex. You know, they know what they're doing. 